Good afternoon. Welcome to Deadly Days, Tales of Dark Fantasy. I'm Joe Bandel. Uh, today, uh, we're going to do episode 31. I see I got a bright sun shining, so I got stripes on my forehead. But uh, as this is meant to be an audio podcast, I'm just going to go with it because I have another video that I'm intending to make after this one. So anyway, I translate these stories from the German into English, and there a lot of them are over a hundred years old. They're in the public domain, um, and I usually translate from four different sources. There's more sources, but for these short stories, what I'm doing right now is a story from Hans Heinz Ewers, a story from Carl Hans Strobel, a story from Der Orchideengarten, which is the world's first illustrated fantasy magazine, and fourthly, a story from a magazine that I did for Cocaine, that I translated for Cocaine, for Sidereal Press called Cocaine which had essentially four issues uh, of short stories. And if, if you remember the last one, there's a series in each of these cocaine magazines that pretty much was one of the main reasons that they got into legal problems and had to shut down. And that was a series that was called, well, I translated it as Extraordinary Women. And it's supposedly excerpts from a true story of a, a, a diary of a woman who is almost like a spy, which is the best ways that I can say it. But before, and there's, so there's going to be three episodes of this, or three parts, and they're each fairly short. But um, some of these things are kind of short anyway. So before I go into that, I'll say if you enjoy these episodes and you enjoy these short stories, you can purchase them in printed form. And there's novels as well that you can uh, purchase. Uh, they're all going to be available from lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, under my name, Joe Bandel, or the author's name, like Hans Heinz Ewers, or uh, you can go directly to the lulu.com slash spotlight slash anarchist banjo page and that'll list all 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 the all my offerings there that you can you can see um, I, there's other stories other authors I just did two books by Paul Basson uh, which 
One was Fire on the Glacier, and the other was The Rebirth of Melkor Durante. Excellent books. Um, so anyway, that's enough of that. We'll get into our little part two, Extraordinary Women. Vienna, 15 May, 1923, Hotel. Anita Vilskopf of Munich announced her visit yesterday via telegraph. A pleasant shiver ran over me as I imagined the pretty 16-year-old girl. It was clear. This young thing suffered in her development and instinctively sought some relaxation. She sensed the erotic principle in me, and this openly and magnetically attracted her. On the day of her arrival, I had multiple things to do. Dispatch the foreign embassy, telephone and write an urgent report. Moreover, I had a difficult task ahead of me, namely to entrap the young Count Cloister and get any information from him that was worth knowing. The evening train from Munich arrived at 8 o'clock, and Cloister was arriving at 7 o'clock. It all had to happen in a tight half hour. I welcomed the young man lying on a chaise lounge, with my legs tucked in and a skirt that was really pulled high. When he looked at me, he became very embarrassed. Oh, excuse me, Count, but I am so tired and I don't really want to get up. Under no circumstances on my account, gracious lady, I will not burden you for long. Please allow me to kiss your hand. As he reached to take my hand, I twisted quickly and pulled. He slid forward and landed with his head between my blank. At the same time, I wrapped my legs around him and pressed it against his lips. I am appalled at your boldness, Count, I cried out to him. Your friend Kurt, who just left for Geneva yesterday, is much more tactful with the ladies. Why did he go there? When is he coming back? I tried to free myself from my lounge bed. An administration delegation from Moscow is waiting for him there and will hand over some documents to him, replied Cloister, and tried to move his hand further up my leg. But it was hindered because of the tightness of my skirt. I am immensely interested in this Russian situation, dear Count. Tell me, please, what is the name of this delegation? See me now. Unfortunately, I'm not permitted to tell you. We're making a secret out of something the entire world knows, I replied, and loosened my skirt a little. Cloister immediately pushed his hand beneath it. If everyone knew that Seamusau was handing over propaganda material, it wouldn't be important. Yes, Madam Vera, propaganda material. Let me kiss you, adorable Vera. Cloister, bright red in the face, with pathetically messed up hair, crumpled collar, and crooked tie, spoke confusedly and kept touching me, trying to overpower me. 
I looked at the clock and saw that I had barely five minutes time left. That is not true, Cloyster. While you demand impossible things from me, on the other hand, you deceive me and tell me all kinds of foolishness about propaganda material and such. Tell the truth. What is up with Simisel? Will you then be my lover, Vera? You talk first. It is about the Classified Act 457, about the expropriation of the concerned countries. And when is your friend coming back? On the 20th with the D-Train 104? No, charming Vera. It was as if Cloyster suddenly went crazy. He threw himself on top of me, burrowing with his hands into the halfway accessible places of my body, tearing at me, twisting me around, and biting me. He nearly succeeded in blank me. Yet a quick move on my part prevented this. As always in such situations, I was overcome with a strong feeling of revulsion. Unable to roll him off the top of me, I reached behind me and pushed the service button. After a few seconds, there was a knock on the door. Cloyster quickly jumped up, straightened his suit, and smoothed his hair. I also put my clothing back in place. You are a clown, Count, I said to Cloyster, who soft, yet softly enough that the maid who stood waiting in the room could not hear. I asked the maid to help me get dressed at which Cloyster said a few conventional words and excused himself. Vienna, 19 May, 1923, Hotel. After I met with Anita on her arrival to the hotel, we completed the conventional questions and then she bathed. I invited her to sit next to me on the Chase Lounge. I myself had nothing on other than a loose house gown. Anita was only wrapped in a bathrobe. She came closer to me shyly, almost fearfully. I pulled her down next to me and kissed her long and passionately on the mouth. The girl became confused and in her perplexity soon pushed herself against me, soon attempted to pull away. That is when half of her bathrobe fell to the ground and Anita lay in the glory of her youthfulness, unwrapped before me. I tried to catch the part of her bathrobe that had slipped down, and my hand slid tenderly and softly over her body. Anita shivered, bowed down to me, and kissed me shyly. In that moment, I pressed her against me, took her hand, and encouraged her blank. Please, gracious lady, I, I am so hot, and the light is so, so bright here. Please, allow me to stand up. What are you doing, gracious lady? Oh, let me stand up. You are hurting me. The light. I can't breathe. Suddenly, Anita threw herself on top of me, wrapped her arms around my neck, and kissed me greedily, passionately. That's all for part two. You can see how a hundred years ago this might have 
brought a little uh, complaints, I suppose. And there's a note here that says, to have a better understanding of these diary pages, it would be best to read the last issue of our review. So anyway, next time I will finish that part with Extraordinary Women and we'll get back to simple stories that are in these magazines. I hope you enjoyed that and get an idea of what your grandparents, if they were German, were able to listen to for their amusement, read for their amusement. Uh, thank you.